I'm going to read uh, the story of Pentecost from Acts chapter 2. I'm going to read it from the message version, um, just to remind us of what happened back on that first day of Pentecost. When the Feast of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Without warning, there was a sound like a strong wind, gale force. No one could tell where it came from. It filled the whole building. Then, like a wildfire, the Holy Spirit spread through their ranks, and they started speaking in a number of different languages as the Spirit prompted them. There were many Jews staying in Jerusalem just then, devout pilgrims from all over the world. When they heard the sound, they came on the run. Then when they heard one after another, their own mother tongues being spoken, they were thunderstruck. They couldn't for the life of them figure out what was going on and kept saying, aren't these all Galileans? How come we're hearing them talk in our various mother tongues? Their heads were spinning. They couldn't make head or tail of it. They talked back and forth, confused. What's going on here? Others joked, they're just drunk on cheap wine. That's when Peter stood up and backed by the other eleven, spoke out with bold urgency. Fellow Jews, all of you who are visiting visiting Jerusalem, listen carefully and get this story straight. These people aren't drunk, as some of you suspect. They haven't had time to get drunk. It's only nine in the morning. This is what the prophet Joel announced would happen. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on every kind of people. Your sons will prophesy, also your daughters Your young men will see visions, your old men dream dreams. When the time comes, I'll pour out my spirit on those who serve me, men and women both, and they'll prophesy. I'll set wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billowing smoke, the sun turning black and the moon blood red before the day of the Lord arrives, the day tremendous and marvellous. And whoever calls out for help to me, to God, will be saved. And so Peter went on to explain how they could be saved. And when he finished, it says, cut to the quick, those who were listening asked Peter and the other apostles, brothers, brothers, so now what do we do? Peter said, change your life. Turn to God and be baptised, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so your sins are forgiven. Receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is targeted to you and your children, but also to all who are far away, whomever, in fact, our master God invites. And that day about 3,000 took him at his word and were baptised. They committed themselves to the teaching of the apostles, the life together, the common meal and the prayers. Everyone was in awe. All those signs and all those wonders and signs done through the apostles and all the believers lived in a wonderful harmony holding everything in common. They sold whatever they owned and pooled their resources so that each person's need was met. They followed a daily discipline of worship in the temple, followed by meals at home, every meal a celebration, exuberant and joyful as they praised God. People liked what they saw. Every day their number grew as God added to those who were saved. So this is Ezekiel 47. Verses 1 to 12. The man brought me back to the entrance of the temple, and I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple towards the east, for the temple faced east. 
The water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. He then brought me out through the north gate and led me round the outside to the outer gate facing east, and the water was flowing from the south side. As the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits and then led me through water that was ankle deep. He measured off another thousand cubits and led me through water that was knee deep. He measured off another thousand and led me through water that was up to the waist. He measured off another thousand, but now it was a river that I could not cross because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in, a river that no one could cross. He asked me, Son of man, do you see this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. When I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. He said to me, This water flows towards the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah, where it enters the sea. When it empties into the sea, the water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the water flows, wherever the river flows. There will be a large numbers of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. Fishermen will stand along the shore from Engedi to Eneglaim. There will be places for spreading nets. The fish will be many kinds, like the fish of the great sea. But the swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fall. Every month they will bear because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. I'd like to take just a few moments to share with you some thoughts on that picture of Ezekiel's river flowing from the temple. Water where it is pure, clean and fresh has life-giving properties. Without water, we can't survive. Yet water can also be immensely destructive. The sheer power of flood water is absolutely amazing and is virtually uncontrollable. In the aftermath of floods come all sorts of waterborne diseases that come from drinking water that's been polluted. Stagnant water, too, brings its dangers, being a breeding ground for mosquitoes with the attendant dangers of malaria. Water, then, is a highly ambiguous element. On the one hand, it's essential to life. On the other, it has the potential to be extremely life-threatening. See that in the story of Masheda. Lives in fear of the river. Every year, floods threaten to destroy her home and leave her and her children with nothing. Her great fear is that the water could rise up to my children's faces and drown them. The Bible reflects this perspective on water being both life-giving and dangerous. In the creation story, the waters covering the surface of the earth represent the forces of chaos that need to be contained because of their destructive power. So the water is banished to the heavens to be the source of rain and contained within the rivers and the seas and lakes so that dry land can appear where people can live safely. And the story of the flood and Noah's Ark serves as a reminder of the devastation that could ensue if those boundaries, keeping their chaotic waters in check, are removed. Yet absence of water can be as devastating as an excess of water. And one of the disasters of climate change is you tend to get one or the other these days, not so much the right amount of water in the right place. 
For the land of Israel, surrounded as it is by arid desert, it's the presence of water that's vital for life. So Isaiah pictures God pouring out his spirit like streams in the desert, turning thirsty ground into bubbling springs and enabling grass and reeds of papyrus to grow in what would otherwise be a wasteland. In the midst of the desert to the southeast of Jerusalem lies the Dead Sea. It's a region 390 metres below sea level. The water has a mineral content of 25%. That's five times higher than the level of salt you find in seawater. For that reason, it's aptly called the Dead Sea, because nothing lives there. Nothing can live there. It's a place associated with the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. It's seen as a place that is God-forsaken, even cursed. It's where the River Jordan ends up. The river empties itself into the Dead Sea. Its fresh waters become contaminated with the miracles there. There's nowhere else for the water to go. The only reason the Dead Sea doesn't overflow is because the extreme heat leads to high levels of evaporation. Yet in this remarkable picture from Ezekiel 47, the prophet sees a river whose source is in the temple of the Lord. And that flows eastwards towards the Dead Sea. And when it reaches the Salt Sea, its river makes those waters fresh. Literally, it heals the waters of the Dead Sea so that fish can live there. And on its course down to that lowest point on earth, this river brings life wherever it flows. The river teems with fish. There are fruit trees growing on both banks, which bear fruit all year round. The fruit provides food for people to eat, and its leaves have healing properties. This is no ordinary river. And that's apparent from the way it quickly develops from being just a trickle coming up from under the altar to a massive river in a short space of time. Jewish tradition traces the stream back to its very source in the Holy of Holies. From the Holy of Holies to the curtain, the waters are as minute as the feelers of the crab or the tortoise. From the curtain to the golden altar, as the feelers of a grasshopper. From the golden altar to the threshold of the temple, like a warp thread. From the threshold of the temple to the outer courts, the temple vestibules, like the woof thread. And from there on, like the outflow from the mouth of a bottle. That's where Ezekiel sees it, just a trickle. 500 yards out from the temple, the water is deep enough to paddle in. 500 yards further on, the water is knee-deep, but you can wade through it. 500 yards more, it's waist-deep, but still fordable. 500 yards after that, the river is too deep to cross, though you can swim in it. And this increase in the level of the water happens without any tributaries flowing into it. It has a single source, which is the temple of the living God. Clearly, although it's never explicitly identified as such, this river is a picture of the Spirit of God flowing out from the presence of God, bringing new life to God's creation. It's what the Spirit does. Psalm 104 says, when God sends out his spirit, his works are created and he renews the face of the earth. The spirit of God, which hovers over the world at the start of creation, remains active in sustaining God's creation and will play a crucial role in renewing God's creation. We as human beings belong to a created order which as a whole is the object of God's love, care, concern and delight. And as Ezekiel pictures that river of God's spirit, spirit, renewing creation, it's clear that people play an integral part in the restored world. It's not that God takes us out of the frame and the world then starts to flourish without human interference. No, the leaves of the trees provide healing for people. The fruit is there to be eaten. The fish in the river and the newly fresh waters of what used to be the Dead Sea are now there to be caught. And though the salt waters of the Dead Sea are now fresh, Nevertheless, the water in the surrounding swamps and marshes does not become fresh. 
that remains salty so that people can make a living extracting salt from those waters because salt is as necessary to life as water is. On this Pentecost Sunday, we celebrate God pouring out his spirit on all flesh. God's spirit giving us a new heart and a new mind. And although, as we know, this process of ageing is irreversible for these mortal bodies, nevertheless the spirit renews us inwardly day by day. Yet the renewal that God begins in our hearts will be extended to the whole created order. God's ultimate purpose is not to to take us away from earth to heaven and leave this planet to disintegrate by whatever means. The new heaven and the new earth which God has planned and purposed with Christ in charge will come about from renewing and restoring what is here already. Not simply from scrapping this planet and starting all over again. So it follows that we need to value, treasure and care for this creation as God himself does. That's always been our mandate, why God made us, to tend the creation that he's made on our behalf. Ezekiel's vision of that river of water is echoed by Jesus in John's Gospel when he talks about those who believe in him having a spring of water welling up inside them to eternal life, about rivers of flowing, rivers of living water flowing out of our hearts. Ezekiel reminds us that the gift of God's Spirit to us is not just for our benefit, not just for our personal blessing, not just for our renewal. It's not even just to empower us to be witnesses for Jesus. It is also to call and equip us with the task of renewing God's creation in accordance with that vision of Ezekiel 47. It's a vision. We don't need to take it literally. To try and do so leads to all kinds of hang-ups about how can a trickle of water turn into such a massive river or how can fresh water flowing into salt water make the salt water fresh. It's a vision that shows us what is on God's heart in terms of his spirit renewing the face of the earth. And it's an invitation to us to embrace that vision ourselves. Because God's heart is for a world where water brings life, not disease and destruction. Where it's teeming with fish. Where its waters irrigate the land so that food can be grown. So that the river can be a source of sustenance and employment for people on its shores. Without fear of their homes being swept away by its floods. That has all kinds of ecological implications in terms of preventing flooding by avoiding deforestation in the upper reaches of rivers, dredging, taking action against climate change, actively protecting and promoting fish stocks, not dumping chemical waste or pollutants into rivers, providing good quality toilet facilities at a safe distance from rivers, building homes where people can live safely and make their livelihoods on riverbanks. Ezekiel says all that is God's work. That is the work of his spirit. And when people engage in ecological restoration, whether they know it or not, they are cooperating with the spirit of God. But we have the spirit of God in our hearts. And that puts these matters on our agenda. The vision of Ezekiel 47 inspires, challenges, calls us to action so that we can play our small part in renewing God's creation here and now. Don't underestimate the difference your tiny contribution can make. After all, that great river flowing out of the temple started just as a tiny trickle dribbling out from under the altar. Let God turn on the tap of his spirit in your heart and let it flow out through you into all this beautiful world which he's created.